Hello, and welcome to another edition of RazorWire. And today we're talking about DORA legislation, EU legislation that's coming out in, well, it's already come out, but there's a lead time for organisations to become compliant. I have a fantastic guest, and we're going to be discussing what is it, how does it work, what are the broadsheets behind it, what do we need to know, and discuss all things DORA. Welcome to the RazorWire podcast, where we discuss all things in the information security and cybersecurity world. From current events and trends, through to commentary from experts in the field, providing vital advisory on what it is to work in the information security and cybersecurity space. And today, to discuss DORA, I have the authority on this particular legislation coming out of Europe, the great, the fantastic Paul Dwyer. So, Paul, for all of those out there who haven't seen any of the other recordings where you've been, do you want to kind of let them know who you are? Sure, Jim. Thanks. I've been working in the area of cybersecurity risk management compliance for over 30 years now. People would know me as being the president of the ICTTF. That's the International Cyber Threat Task Force. We have a community of over 30,000 people around the world all working together. We, we have a slogan, it takes a network to defeat a network. And we're a network of good guys that, that work against that. I suppose what we're here talking today is uh, I'm kind of wearing my team cyber hat. I'm CEO of, of an advisory firm where we, we have an online academy called the EU Cyber Academy. And one of the training courses that we've developed is around this DORA compliance legislation. And DORA stands for the Digital Operation Resilience Act. Although it's European-based, it does, as you know, Jim, affect globally, you know, the financial sector. And I'm happy to talk about that or anything else where our conversation winds and meanders today. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. So for all those out there who are thinking DORA is this some kind of like kids program we're talking about, what exactly is I mean, some people may have heard a little bit about it, but in in a nutshell, for the layman, what is DORA? Okay, so DORA is a piece of legislation that came into force on the 16th of January this year, 2023. But there's a two-year readiness run-in. And as that run-in comes in, there is more specifics, more technical prescriptive detail around things like threat-led penetration testing and so on. It is a an initiative to harmonize ICT risk management across the financial sector. But there are some very unique aspects to this. Insofar as, for example, critical ICT suppliers will also fall under this. There's uh, potentially eye-watering fines and even criminal penalties associated with it. But it's not something to be afraid of. It's really a catalyst that can help everybody in the financial sector and those that work with the financial sector to harmonize and be much more efficient around as they call it, ICT risk management, you may call it information security risk management, you may call it cyber risk management, but managing the risks to digital assets and digital operation. And it acknowledges that defense is good, but resilience is better. And that's what this is all about. Okay, so this is predominantly at the moment a, a European thing, but there's, there's a, as you mentioned, kind of in the lead-in, there's a, there's a bit of a wider scale associated because it's not just for European companies. It's also for companies who are offering services to companies in Europe, is it not? Uh, absolutely. Look, basically, it's, I would say by default, it's global because whoever's operating in the financial sector and operates offering services in Europe will fall under this. And also, when, it, when you look to things like critical ICT suppliers, 
you may not even be deemed as critical, but you may be in this supply chain. It may be fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it is there. Somewhere along the line, this is going to hit you by osmosis. But there's nothing in it that you shouldn't be doing. So th- th- there's nothing in it you go, that's crazy. Why are they asking for this? Why are they asking for that? It's been very well developed, very well thought out. The document itself is a little bit horrible because it's legalese, but that's why we, we developed this into an online training course to make it easier, especially for people coming from the perspective of IT or ICT and so on, to understand the legalese, to understand a lot of the acronyms, to understand what the expectations are around this. And it actually lent itself to us developing kind of a hybrid model around the training course because it's a moving target. It's a moving subject. It's getting developed all the time. It's very important to have your finger on the pulse of what the regulators are defining. It's quite dramatic how some of these pieces are changing. Um, I'll give you a little quick sidebar on this, uh, which is in relation to here in Ireland. For example, this is something that what's referred to as the competent authority oversees in each state. So the competent authority for the financial sector in Ireland is the Central Bank of Ireland. And they have deemed that the financial sector should be all you know, compliant with DORA. However, somewhere along that journey, the Department of Finance, who are, if you like, above the competent authority and hierarchy, saw that there was some wording in the door legislation that said that the member states can exclude certain segments from being of the financial sector, of being compliant with it. And with the stroke of a pen, essentially, really, basically through lobbying, a group representing credit unions in Ireland seem to have been able to get an exclusion for the credit unions. Now, for me, this is crazy, right? Because this is like that kid who turned up to gym class with a note from their parents every week. I said, oh, Johnny's hurt his elbow or his leg or whatever it is. And then when you go to play the team game, you lose. And you go, well, no wonder we did because he couldn't kick the ball, couldn't catch a ball, whatever, that kind of stuff. And there was really nothing wrong with little Johnny at the end of the day that could have done this. Uh, maybe it's a bad example, but but it's the kind of thing that, that came to mind when I was thinking of this because this is about harmonizing. This is about recognition that cyber threats affect all of us in a digital society. And the overall overarching approach that's been taken by the EU in the realm of compliance strategy around cyber is amazing. And it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for organizations, especially post-COVID, to redress and, and look at maybe some of the shortfallings, maybe some of those decisions they made during COVID that didn't follow the normal checks and balances and actually look at that from a risk perspective, look at that from a compliance perspective, everything else like that. Make sure the efficiencies are there as well, that you're not investing in the wrong areas. Um, so all of this is a great opportunity for the financial sector to become much more efficient and to protect their customers, protect their business, and embrace innovation, because that's part of this as well. I just see it as an amazingly positive thing for, for the IT, for the ICT, for the cybersecurity industry. It's a chance to go beyond being subjective with advice and advisory because this is so prescriptive. If you look at this cyber resilience legislation in the UK, it's pretty good, it's there, but it's not that specific. Whereas something like DORA will be much more specific in relation to how to carry out threat-led penetration testing, what the expectations are, all of those kind of things. So we're getting into the specifics as opposed to uh, that kind of gray area between something that is, um, is it advice? Is it supervisory notes? What what are we getting here? Like at the end of the day, the client wants to know and everybody wants to know, what do I need to do? And there's there's more detail in Dora, which is fantastic. It makes things more binary, easier to make decisions, easier to understand that you are doing the right thing when it comes to cyber risk. So, I mean, what is the what is the kind of like the the, the reasoning behind this legislation? Was it 
attacks were, you know, getting far too regular? Um, was it putting sort of, you know, almost putting the fiduciary duty of the the C-suite to their shareholders to protecting that kind of their network infrastructure, their key assets, that kind of thing. I mean, why why did the EU suddenly go, okay, you know, we need to legislate? Because obviously they had GDPR, which which focused directly on personalized data. And this seems to be kind of like a logical movement. Did they create it because people just weren't doing it and there was concerns there? What's, what's the kind of background behind it? All of these things like GDPR and all the other pieces like uh, the NIS2 directive, Network Information Systems 2 directive, all of these things are complementary and they're part of a suite and an approach, a unified approach to dealing with this. Before COVID, I remember Christine Lagarde came out as head of the ECB and talked about the fact that a significant cyber attack on the financial sector could cause a liquidity crisis. Mm. Okay, so there's been a recognition for quite some time, probably all the way back to near misses or some would even not call it a near miss, but what was often referred to as the swift attack and so on like that. That there's recognition, even on the G7 with the G7 cyber fundamentals, that the financial sector is interconnected and interdependent. And you've got your big players, your medium, your small, you've got all these mixtures in between. But the the right kind of attack, quote unquote, could have a contagion effect and could have a knock-on effect globally to the world's economy fr- from that perspective. So this unified approach, which has been echoed with the likes of, I mentioned there, the G7 uh, cyber fundamentals zone, is about acknowledging that leadership is responsible and leadership are the only people that can really deal with this, right? So what, what's interesting from a door perspective, it, it calls out things like that. It says that the management board are responsible for ICT risk management, not your IT provider, not your CISO, not your IT manager, whatever, the board of management responsible. It also takes a very pragmatic view to using what they call the proportionality principle. For those listening that may understand things like inherent cyber risk profiles and so on, will understand that what you're really doing is making sure I'm using the right level and the right types of controls for the right for, for, the, for the particular kind of risk I'm dealing with. So it's not about a one-size-fits-all approach. So it gives organizations an opportunity to pivot from a purely compliance tick box, have to have, have to have, have to have, or the other side of that being a security, I need to have everything, I want to I make sure I'm the most secure company in the world, to having a risk-based approach, which means I'm identifying the risks and I'm managing the risks. And that's what's, what's important from this perspective. So it's about, you know, defense is great, but there's an acknowledgement that things will happen. There will be attacks, there will be breaches. As we innovate, we, we leverage AI, blockchain, cryptocurrency, there's going to be more and more complicated things that are happening in that environment. So being able to be operationally resilient from a digital perspective is paramount, you know, and it's imperative for organizations. And it's an imperative for leadership to understand their role in, in all of this, because this isn't about, oh, that's the compliance people look after that, the do GDPR. Nah, the book stops here up at the C-suite. As where it probably should do, as a lot of us have been saying for a long time now, you know, uh, it's always amazed me, you know, especially in the early part of my career, some sort of 20 years ago, how little stock there was from management on something simple like security. I mean, they'd lock, the, they'd lock their building up at night and they'd have security guards, but, but digitally speaking, the, the place was wide open back then. You know, I mean, technology, it was a different world, world of technology and we've discussed it many times, both on and off camera, about what it was like in the good old days. But these days, you know, we've, we've got far more sophisticated methods of protecting ourselves. And I think it's a good thing that, that, that new legislation is coming out and it's, it's well needed. 
One of the things that may interest those viewing this is how are they doing the fining and the, you know, if, if somebody was to experience a breach, what could they expect in response to that? So let's just say you're one of the smaller of the larger organizations, maybe financial institution of some, maybe hedge funds, something like that. They experience a significant breach. Let's say it's ransomware. It's an easy one for people to, to, to picture these days, let's face it. What can they expect from a response? Do they have to kind of notify somebody? What's the process? I mean, has that been defined as of yet? Yeah, it has. And and before I answer that piece, get back to your point you made there about uh, the investment and how security has been seen traditionally within organizations, because you're dead right. I mean, it's been seen as a burdenous cost and almost something that's not really required and, and, and how can you efficiently spend as little as possible. And I've often used the the analogy of, look, any business that's not in the world of cyber, so whether you're a bank or you're a firm of solicitors or an aviation company, whatever, you see things like IT and you see things like IT security and cybersecurity as a cost, no different from the cost of cleaning the toilets. It's a cost. So you want it as low as possible. But there needs to be a mindset change when it comes to this digital society and digital economy that we operate in. Cybersecurity and cyber risk management is an investment, not a cost. Because it's not about getting away with as little as possible that you could do. It's not about that that take on the credit unions going, oh, rubber hands, we got away without having to, to measure compliance and all of those kind of things. Because that's not what this is about. This is about... I come back to the COVID piece, but it's a bit like, you know, we all washed our hands. We all wore masks. It's better for everybody. We all have a technical socio responsibility when it comes to cyber security and cyber risk. If we make it easy for the bad guys all the time as consumers, as users, as businesses, then it's just always going to be easy uh, to do that. So leadership is key here from personal perspective and personal accountability. I put the patches on my phone. I don't use an insecure Wi-Fi. You know, those kind of things, what, what, what an individual can do right up to what business should be doing from an ethical and a moral point of view, especially using innovation like AI and so on. Now, to get to your question about what, what organizations need to do, well, it really depends on the size of the organization, the type of instance and so on. But this is this is why there's that two-year walk into this and readiness window, because some of this is still being defined as to what you need to do. Every local competent authority in each state around Europe will be able to decide the specifics of what needs to be done, whether you have a dual reporting aspect, because you may be an organization that's part of the critical national infrastructure of that country, as well as being in, in the financial sector. So you may need to report in a, a number of different ways within your local country, local state uh, within Europe. So how all of that is defined is part of this challenge of working at Dora. Where do you sit in Dora? At what point? Because it is proportionally applied to you. Are you a micro organization? So therefore, or the type of assessments you need to, the type of testing are different from large organizations. So that's what part of that, that challenge is. And quite honestly, a lot of that is still being worked out. Uh, and we have the timeline for those things being delivered. And you, you can pretty much see that most of this will be in play by early next year. And then compliance, the absolute deadline of compliance is January 16th, 2025. Okay. Is it right in understanding that you, you, something you mentioned earlier on, that there's potential prison sentences? Is that is that accurate? Yeah, the, yeah. effectively, w within there, there are criminal penalties. So if this is going to be law. 
Each state has to transpose it into law within that two-year window. And within there, there are options for criminal penalties to be applied. When Dora was, before it got dropped, let's use those phrases from our, our favorite streaming providers, before it dropped on January 16th of 2023, we saw it being developed because there was lots of consultation going on. And some of the fines that were being issued around, potential fines, were things like 4% of your global turnover per day for up to six months. Per day? per day until you can prove you're compliant, right? So this stuff is, there's a big stick that comes with this, right? And now it's been locally transposed into each area. So the specifics of what those fines will be and what those penalties will be on, 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 on effectively a state-by-state basis. But each of those competent authorities has to report back to the, the central body and the cross-functional forms in relation to how that's been, been put together. So it's significant stuff. It's not slap on the wrist kind of stuff. This is basically, getting back to that question you asked about, well, why did this come about? One of the reasons it came about was, wow, it was complicated to say, what are you meant to be compliant with? DORA is known in legal terms as legs specialist, which means it's the overarching over everything else. So if you're DORA compliant, you're compliant with anything else that you should be in relation to your supply chain risk management and so on, which is very important to call that out when there's lots of other complementary and often competing for resources and budgets, compliance requirements such as NIS2 compliance, as I mentioned, the NIS2 directive and things like that. So this is the main show. This is the, this is the big cheese when it comes to uh, compliance. You need to be able to, to prove your compliance. And to kind of drill down on that, Jim, in relation to prove your compliance, because rather than me just run that off, the, off the, the tongue like that, how do you prove you're compliant? You may be the most compliant organization in the world, but if you can't prove it to a regulator, well, then you're not compliant. Perception is reality, and, and you have to be able to prove that from that perception point of view. And that's done through things like having an effective ISO 27001, maybe ISMS in place, Information Security Management System, having level four documentation, collecting evidence that you do what you say you do, and you don't just pay lip service to it. So what the regulators are looking for, they'll be very clear on this, will be evidence that you do what you say you do. So rather than just calling out a very orchestrated and flamboyant and beautiful cyber risk management framework and saying, hey, we do all these great things and here's all our shiny new template policies and all that kind of stuff, they say, okay, now prove it to us that you operate this. Prove to us, show us the logs, show us the records, show us that you actually do this. And that's what they will want. They, they will want assurance that you're doing that. So they will have confidence that will be derived from the assurance so the regulators can do, can do their, their jobs properly. Look, there's at least 22,000 organizations across Europe that fall under this. Mm. And it's vast. It's going into new areas that, that, that haven't really hit the UK from, from a financial legislative point of view around resilience before, things like crypto assets and things like that. So the, the, there's a lot in it. It's going to be interesting to see where this goes, because, I mean, this, this is a, a, you know, an initial kind of fledgling. I mean, obviously, it's been talked about for quite extensively, but like a lot of things, you know, they refine it over time. They'll add areas in. And I think, you know, down the line, they'll start looking at other areas outside of the financial and, and, and associated areas that connected into that and start looking at other critical aspects of, of business or, you know, the working environment within Europe and start applying those standards and requirements further down the line. I mean, it, it sounds like it works really nicely with some of the existing standards like ISO and PCI DSS and all the mm. rest of it. Are they, you know, are the regulators going to have like investigators? So if there is an event and it kicks off, are they going to have kind of like case handlers who are going to look at 
what the organization was doing. Was it just really bad luck? You know, they got hit by something that, that was unexpected because it was a zero day vulnerability, that kind of thing. What's the, what's the deal behind that? Yeah, so so they're, they're, they're effectively, you'll see regulators hiring in this space, as to are all of the consultancy firms. Like a lot of the people going on the DORA training course that we've developed are from the consultancy firms or from IT firms and so on. Because this is so interesting, and you're right to draw the listeners' attention to that fact that it's going beyond the financial sector. This is something that now they're saying will, will be cover critical ICT providers, but they're not saying what the definition of that is. So it's down to each local competent authority to define what are the critical providers in that space. Now, one of the things they're working at the moment is how to charge those critical providers for auditing them, right? So this is what's being worked on at the moment, how the communication streams will work and how all of that will work. So they're going to provide effectively good oversight and governance around making sure that that is all being done correctly. And a lot of that is in play at the moment. The detail is being drafted at the moment of how those fees will be carried out, how the audits and assessments will be carried out. But look, if you're a large cloud provider, it's pretty much a certainty you're going to fall under that as a critical ICT provider. But maybe you're a niche provider to a segment, a significant segment of the, of the financial sector. You may be deemed a critical provider under this and, and uh, uh, play ball. But I see this as, again, getting back to the positive of this being an investment. If you're able to go out to the financial sector and as a service provider, and, and be able to prove to them that where you are in relation to door compliance, that's going to give them comfort. That's going to give them assurance, and that's going to give them confidence that you're the organization to deal with. For your listeners who work in the ICT industry and maybe are, are consultants or whatever they may be, this is absolutely the kind of credential you, you want to get because it's so in demand at the moment. Because as the awareness grows around this, as we get closer to that deadline and everybody starts going, whoa, we need to get these door compliance projects off the ground. Now, for those of us who've worked in the industry a long time, Jim, and I'm sure you, you agree with this, is we look at this thing, we reverse engineer it pretty quickly and we go, oh yeah, that's what we've been saying all along. It's, it's just another name for it because it is another name for it. But the specifics are slightly different because they're so prescriptive is you're effectively implementing an ICT risk management framework, but it has all these checks and balances in there that you need to make sure that you have in place because that's what the regulator is going to be looking for. And that's you're going to need to prove that you have in place and that you're doing those things. And for for example, one of the things that we've been working with clients on is, um, so I wear many hats, as you know, and what one of those is with Cyber Risk International. We developed a solution called Cyber Prism. So why don't we just forgive me as a second as I explain to listeners how we may be able to help them, because we, we actually developed a module out within our Cyber Prism tool that measures DORA compliance, because that's step one for everybody. Well, where am I in relation to this? And I, I really love the fact that the, the competent authority in Ireland turned around and said, oh, and by the way, you might think you're using the NIST cybersecurity framework because they've been calling this stuff out since 2015. So they've given a wink and a nod to, guys, if you're doing and using something like the NIST cybersecurity framework, you're along the right lines with this of what their expectations are. Mm. So it's, it's kind of not reinventing the wheel, but it's a new flavor. And it's making sure that, um, I mean, for anyone who has a mature cybersecurity framework in place and a risk framework in place and are doing the right things, there shouldn't be anything in Dora that, that is a surprise to them. No. Um, but being able to report it, prove it, is where the challenge will be then for them. And that's where obviously something like the cyberism tool will be very effective. And, and to get the people trained, because knowledge is power. And the last thing you want this is to become more dependent on external consultants, use ex consultants where you need them. Use specialist testing companies like like your own gym for mm. the testing. 
uh, because that's a really specific area and and there's really you know depending on on the, the size complexity of, of your organization there's a whole uh, range of tests that they expect your organization to do this is lip service to go oh i did a pen test they're specific about what they mean by a pen test what they mean by threat-led penetration testing what they mean by vulnerability scans and so on and so forth and the same with education you know from our own side with the eu cyber academy they're very specific to say that the types of education isn't just awareness about oh don't click on this link and you know don't open that attachment it's not about that it's about specific to your job role so you know developers need specific training Management leadership needs specific training around this to understand procurement needed for managing the the, uh, the the vendor risk, all of those kind of things. So it's a it's an opportunity for everyone to tidy house and everybody get on the same page when it comes to to risk. Okay, it sounds like it sounds very interesting. Is there going to be like a reporting process that you have to do on a regular basis to the local regular authority, whatever country you're in, and whoever's designated kind of in charge of, of maintaining this? Or is it going to be kind of a, if you have a breach, we're going to investigate you and then, you know, assign fines appropriate to what we found? Um, there's going to be a little bit of everything because there's there's reporting goes on already. And so this will fall into that scheme, that those parts of reporting. But then there'll be that that kind of, how regulators operate, they tend to learn from randomly sampling, say random, they'll pick some of the big guys, the mid-sized guys okay. and smaller guys in different parts. And then they'll start going, well, what are they doing out there? Because the last thing a regular wants to do is come out and say, oh, you should all be up here at 100 and find that most of the industry is only at a 20 or something because it, they've adopted a proportional attitude towards this as well. And they see it as a progression of iterations that people get better and better and better. Remembering that you know, to use our, our old cliches on this, security is a journey, not a destination. We're only as secure as the weakest link. It's so true when it comes to Dora. Yeah. Because it's about the supply chain as well, you know. And it's about it's not about perfection. Risk management isn't about perfection. It's it's about managing the risk, identifying it, and then choosing your options. Are you mitigating, are you transferring, are you accepting it, and so on. And then when it comes to compliance, there's the the the, the pieces that have to be in place to be compliant with that so it's um it's a, it's a mosaic it's an interwoven tapestry if you like of all of these things put together but if you're if you're implementing a strategic ict risk management framework then you will be dora compliant because as long as you can identify these things identify your critical business assets i mean the, the, these are the starting blocks of this like what, what are your critical assets information assets digital assets what are they made up of who are the suppliers what are the dependencies mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Um, they want to see where all the contracts are then for the suppliers behind that. Mm-hmm. This is all kind of almost pedestrian kind of stuff. It's, and I dare I say, the kind of boring stuff, a lot, a lot of the stuff as well, but it's so important uh, that it has to be done. Whereas when people are innovating and moving forward and business and so on, that's the stuff that gets left behind. That's why regulation and compliance is so important to make sure as we're moving forward, as we're digitally transforming our businesses, but we're doing it, good oversight and governance in place to make sure the checks and balances are there. I mean, you've, you've, you've kind of attested to a few things that they're kind of requiring in this particular new model. I mean, was there any surprises? Because you mentioned like uh, intelligence, for instance, you know, security intelligence and understanding mm. risks and threats to the business. Now, obviously, risk management has been a signature piece of InfoSec for a long, long time now. But threat intelligence is relatively new to a lot of organizations, you know, understanding who's talking about them behind the scenes and what, you know, what's going on. What were some of the surprises when they did drop the final, right, this is what the standard is going to be and this is what's going to be put in place in a couple of years' time? 
Was there anything that you looked through and went, oh, wow, they've included that? Um, there wasn't really an oh, wow moment, but I think the things that, that might be a challenge for some organizations when they look at this will be things like, the intelligence sharing networks, the maturity of that, how you're doing that, uh, the instant response pieces, the level that that's going to, the resilience testing. If, if you were to take one piece out of this, and, and this obviously where, where ResiThorn can help so many organizations as well in this space, this is about resilience, mm. okay? So it's about testing, and it's about proving you've tested and proving you've learned from those tests and that you've implemented uh, improvements and so on. So th- those pieces go along. So if you were to to almost scrape everything else away and go, where are you going to find weaknesses in organizations around the maturity of their, their risk management frameworks? It's going to be the level of testing that they're doing. Yes, there'll be lots of other stuff that they find there and do quite well. But the instant response piece, for example, but but testing, th- this is the spearhead of what this is about. It's like you can say you're doing this, test it and prove to me it works. You know, for example, it's a real deep one there that you'll find interesting as well, which is when an incident happens and it, it, the, the report needs to define, did your controls work? How efficient and effective were your controls? How efficient and effective was your response mechanism to that instant in dealing with it and everything else like that? So this is going beyond like kind of business continuity stuff and disaster recovery. This is being able to prove that you're actually testing your own processes as well as testing technically things as well. I think this is really positive. I think, you know, I like the the way that it's kind of focusing on, you know, how did you do when the incident kicked off? It's looking at, you know, it's not just saying, right, do this, do that, do this, do that, and jobs are good, be able to prove it. It's like, well, you've had this incident. Okay, so show us, as you say, you know, did you have a process that went wrong? Did you do everything right and there was something that you hadn't taken into consideration? I take it there's a whole sort of lessons learned piece in there that they want to see as well, you know, sort of, well, how are you going to stop this from occurring going forward? Are you, you know, reassessing the situation? Do you think it's going to sort of like push, because I mean, continuous pen testing is a thing that a lot in a lot of people in the market are talking about at the moment. There's a lot of different definitions of what it is, and some of them are funny and, and interesting definitions. <laughs> Do you think it's going to push, you know, towards a more regular model of being able to prove and assure that your countermeasures and that your systems are secure throughout their life cycle rather than the kind of once a year pen test that you do. I think one of the biggest challenges I've seen, for instance, in PCI DSS, I mean, they say you must have an annual pen test or after a significant change. So as long as you have your annual pen test, it's a snapshot in time. It can be done January, but for the rest of the year, you could have introduced vulnerabilities, and that happens. Zero days, new patches, new new solutions. Okay, yes, they say after a significant change, you should also do the testing, and all of obviously all of our customers do do that. But the question always then becomes: Well, what's the significant change? What's a significant enough change to want to have to do that? Because pen testing and the traditional kind of snapshot in time pen testing, it can get pretty expensive depending upon what you're testing and and how how exhaustive you're doing it. Some organizations like to chop their pen test for like key web applications over a period of a year to make it a bit easier for them alongside their perimeter and their internal pen test, and they'll split it all out over the course of a year. Some do multiple tests, some only do one that year. Do you think it's going to kind of push towards that more of a, have you been undertaking regular ongoing testing to make sure that you're secure? 
Yeah, absolutely. As I say, there's a whole section within Dora that that mandates the different tests that you have to have, and there's a, there's a whole range of them that, that, that go through there, right up to things like for the large organisations that'll be based on things like TiberU and so on, really specific threat lead penetration testing, which can be do- done in a pooled way if if you're sharing, say for example, a cloud service provider, but they have to be tested. The specifics there has to be tested on live systems, mm. right? So that's kind of seat of the pants, squeaky trousers, you know. I mean, that's uh, that's uh, that, that, there's a lot to be done there. So depending, again, it's all very proportional with Dora. They don't expect the same things of the smaller organizations that inherently the cyber risk may be lower from the point of view of the larger, more complex organizations that have a bigger client base, more technology, more moving parts, more tax surface, yada, yada. So it's all detailed within there. What we're getting is more flesh on the bone as the months go on, as they start putting more detail in about what their expectations are. But there's a lot in there already for people to start lining themselves up to say, well, could we actually do that today? You know, I don't think we could, you know. Um, are we doing red teaming? Are we doing vulnerability scans? Are we doing gap analysis? Are we doing assessments? Are we testing our code? Are we all of these kind of things that need to be done within the place? So when you ask what the surprise is, I suppose it's the level of depth around the testing piece. But then when you think about it, of course it's going to be there. That's what the door is, is going to be about from a resilience perspective. And and just for the, the, the listeners to focus them in on what we're talking about here. I've mentioned things like, hey, you know, defense is great, but resilience is better. What am I saying when I say that? What I'm saying is there's going to be data breaches, there's going to be data attacks. Can you identify it if it happens? Can you respond? Can you recover? In an efficient way, all of those things, right? Because that's what Dora is saying. Are you resilient? Yeah. Can you can you can you continue? Uh, not that, oh, well, we're only down for a week or we're only down for two weeks or whatever, because from a business continuity perspective, perspective, there is none of this switching over, failover stuff. They're expecting you to be able to continue and be able to continue your operations because of the effect on digital society. We all depend on our, uh, you know, our online banking to work and everything else like that. So, so that's where a lot of this is coming from. So there's a lot in there that I think what people might go, um, oh, I've heard it all before. But when you get into the detail on this and you see the specifics, you go, oh, okay, I'm not quite sure we're doing that at the level that we can prove we're doing it. Mm. Mm. And that's different. And it gives a great focus for budgets. It's a great focus for resources, a great focus for what you're trying to achieve here. Because as an industry, the financial sector can bring themselves all up together. That interconnectedness and independence now becomes a strength, not a weakness, which is a brilliant thing about Dora. Dora is a weapon. Door is a weapon that can be used against the bad guys because if everybody embraces it and doesn't uh, approach it in a cynical way, going, oh, how do you get a regulator off your back? What's the minimum we can do here? And doesn't see it as a compliance exercise, but sees it as an opportunity to become more efficient, then we all win. Society wins, effectively, digital society wins, and all that point. And, and from the point of view of the industry itself and, and organizations like our, our own gym, what I'd say is it's incumbent upon people like ourselves to be able to provide the relevant services that we know those organizations won't have. Not to be commercially successful, but it's because there's going to be a gap of void of skills in this space. And when people will be looking for guidance to go, well, what kind of tests do I need? So that leadership within the the security industry itself is required to be able to say, well, look, 
the industry, unfortunately, at the moment is full of snake oil salespeople and putting the word cyber in front of everything. Don't start me. I'll keep going. <laughs> and it's so irritating because if I was an ill-informed customer, it must be so confusing for them to look at this basically shit that's out there that people are offering them and charging them through the nose for oh, lovely fancy dashboards floating all around, but it doesn't actually do anything for them, right? And they need the appropriate controls at the appropriate level. So you need to get back to being able to be in a position where you just go, how does that work? What does it do? What are the benefits? You know, it's that whole thing about the benefits, risks, the alternatives, all those kind of things, and be able to make sure that they're doing the right thing. That's appropriate. So I think you're, we're going to see, unfortunately, those snake oil operators putting the word door in front of lots of stuff and trying to operate out. But the, the integrity of the services from uh, the credibility of key financial players recognizing leaders in this space is what's going to be make the difference. We've seen this already because we've seen the biggest banks, even you know, stock exchanges, everything are taking our training courses. So because they're recognizing that, hey, this is this is a way to leverage the industry to help us do this. You know, and I'm sure you've seen it yourselves with your testing services that you're doing in the door space. I mean, that's what the 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 industry needs. It needs good, credible sources of expertise to deliver these things for them. I, I have to laugh because I did. I was on LinkedIn the other day and, and it was a vendor I know very well. I like them. They're a GRC vendor and they've obviously the marketing people started to get hold of the, the Dora side of things. And I thought about you and I thought, oh, he's going to laugh when I tell him because all of a sudden every tool on the planet is going to be, yes, helps with Dora compliance. It'll meet your Dora compliance and, and <laughs> we're going to get a plethora of. <laughs> I, I've been offered, I've been offered uh, fees to go on to podcasts and talk about dork advice and people trying to sell their products and pitches. And I go, what's going on with your product? Like you know that that kind of stuff. You know that that's going on because everyone is now waking up to it's a, it is a commercial opportunity. But look, this is an opportunity for organizations to be much more efficient for us to get a um, cohesive, a holistic approach against the bad guys. Uh, which just makes it better for everybody. It makes uh, You can spend more time innovating. It makes it better services for your clients if you're not doing so much of the mopping up and all of that around, around cyber risk. And it's about being strategic, not not just the tactics of responding all the time. You can get into that proactive space and everything else like that. I, I think it's brilliant. It just it, it, it clears the muddy water when it comes to a lot of this stuff. It really does because, because right, that's what we need to do. It's legs, specialists, the Latin phrase. Uh, I'm sure my Latin accent isn't great, but there you go. And it's it's the only show in town. You need to be doing Dora if you're in the financial sector. And I would say even those who who have got their jammy exclusion in there, and it was interesting because I wrote a blog on that, and um, there was banks in other countries reached out to me and said, we totally agree with you. But we can't publicly say this, that we totally agree with you, that this was an absolutely bad show for, for someone to be excluded out of this when everybody else has been told they have to do this. It's like, you know, like go back to COVID, say it's like all, all those people don't have to wear a mask, all those people don't have to wash their hands. It's just kind of crazy, like, you know, because it is that, that, that interconnectedness, interdependence that we're trying to deal with from a cyber risk perspective. Oh, I mean, it's, I think it's a, a really positive step forward. I'm really interested to see how this one pans out. I mean, we've reached the top end of the hour. So, you know, do you want to kind of just tell the listeners if they do want to learn a bit more about Dora, where they can go to do your course? I must admit, I'm going to be sending a few of my guys probably on that myself. So do you want to kind of just tell people out there where they can find uh, your website and all the rest of it and kind of 
Sure, no problem. And I appreciate that, Jane, that opportunity. People can go to doratraining.eu, doratraining.eu. We have an academy actually associated with two academies. One is the eucyberacademy.com and the other is up on uh, cyberriskacademy.com as well. Uh, It's it's a separate academy. And we're we're producing training courses um, that are non-technical, business-led, aligned with the EU strategy. So all of these pieces that are coming out, we're going, okay, let's take our expertise and turn this into a way that businesses can understand this information and then implement it. So the DOOR Certified Compliance Specialist course is something now that hundreds and hundreds of organizations around the world have embraced and taken on large and small. And it's a way to get their teams skilled up with tremendous feedback on it. I opened with a, a video where I almost apologize for how dry the material is because some of it's really dry, you know, but we need to get through it. And uh, it culminates, um, I've mentioned that it's a kind of hybrid model because it culminates in we listen to the initial students on the course and they said well that's great you told us all what it is and what we're meant to be doing tell us how we do it so we actually then added on this bonus module module 11 where we actually went into it and said here's how you do it using the new cybersecurity framework and we bring them right through the, all, all of the, the moving parts of that and how you do that and then what we do is all of these training courses are delivered in a state-of-the-art academy online academy but it's a mixture of on-demand learning the multiple choice questions, all that good stuff, but really important, the live training sessions, because every every four weeks, come on, we run a workshop online with the students and explain to them what are the latest changes, what, what are the guidance that we've received, all of those kind of things. So the material is being updated all the time. So it's it's a quite a straightforward course for people to do. And as I say, we've got tremendous feedback on it. But I would say that's your first step is equip yourself with knowledge and empower yourself with knowledge and then look at maybe doing something like an assessment or then talk to maybe the guys the lovely people over in razor thorn about the types of technical testing services that, that you need to be compliant with dora because you want to leverage the security industry appropriately leverage the cybersecurity industry appropriately don't just think you can just offload all this off and outsource it all because so much of it has to be done in-house and that's where that knowledge piece helps but you'll know you're getting the right service if you do a course like this you'll know you're getting the right the right kind of things in place so that's kind of in a nutshell jim how i would put it to your listeners fantastic you're absolutely right first step down the chain knowledge and for all those organizations out that are about to start going through an information security program where they're going to be upgrading their defense and depth and undertaking activities to build their security strategy. Maybe you're going on an ISO 27001 journey or a PCI journey or both or whatever. It's well worth coming and doing that course or getting some understanding of DORA before you go down that route because you can bind all of this stuff together really, really nicely so you're not reinventing the wheel every five minutes and doing one thing for one type of compliance, another thing for another type of compliance. And and really, you know, one of the things that I kind of educate a lot of our customers on and a lot of my guys educate customers on, you know, security is kind of, it's, it's not just that compliance model. It's a way of protecting that business from losses occurring to them that could threaten not only that business, but the customers within. So you might as well understand what all the legislations are, you know, go through them all. HIP has got some great stuff in, and that's related with healthcare, for Christ's sake, you know, but it's got some gold in there. ISO, obviously, which everybody knows these days, ISO 27001, PCI DSS, you know, even if you don't take credit card information, read through it. There's some really good stuff in there of what you should do. And obviously, now we've got Dora as well. So, no, it'll be interesting to see how this one pans out. And uh, I think I'm going to be booking myself on a course with, with, with you guys relatively soon. So thank you to all of you out there and thank you to Paul for giving us a bit of an insight into what Dora means and what the implications are and 
where it comes from, that kind of thing. Thank you all for subscribing. Uh, we're really kind of inundated with, with the figures that are coming in and it's, it's really, really good. So thank you so much. We'll be producing all kinds of content um, all the time. If there's anything you want to discuss or you want to get in touch with us, please feel free. It'll be in the description. Thank you again, Paul. Look after yourselves out there and we'll be all speaking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the Rosewire podcast. If you like the podcast, if you love the podcast, please feel free to subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch. Thank you very much and have a great day.